Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. week we talked about how difficult it is to hear God's word. Well, today we're going to follow that up with the difficulties that happen and result when we actually hear God right. That sounds insane. I know. But Paul heard very well and understood what God wanted him to do. And he was very faithful to the word. And uh, today we're going to look at the ramifications of that decision. All right, speaking of pruning, um, we are going to look at something that does hurt, okay? And last week we talked about the importance of God's word in that it's not supposed to hurt in a bad way, but again, God's word is always described as a double-edged sword. And so in one place it cuts and the other place it heals. And so it's this amazing thing that what God does and and the cutting is is good in the same way that a surgeon got to do some cutting to do some healing that's what God's word does um, and sometimes we need that especially when we're already hurting prior to that like what does God's word do when we already come to him hurting all right and that's one of the things that we're going to look at today in fact the question that we're going to look to answer is this how can I now we're talking about as a Christian here but in general how can I have a heart for those who hurt, especially those who hurt me? Y'all follow me on that one? Because how many, when you, when somebody hurts you, what's your initial reaction? What do you want to do? All right, a lot. Usually hurt him back, right? I was like, all right, I think there's a verse that says eye for an eye. Let's put that to the test. First off, no, that's all right. All right, so there is a verse, but we'll talk about that one another day. But it is hard, right? It's hard to have a heart for somebody. I mean, it's one thing to have a heart for someone who's hurting. I mean, that's a little easier. We can be compassionate. Um, eventually, it's going to hurt us if it's going to move us to action, right? So we got to do something. We got to get out of our comfort zone. But it is hard to have a heart for someone who hurts you. That's what do we do with that? How can we handle that? And it's hard, again, because it hurts. What we want to do is close off our heart from people. We don't want to open our heart towards people like that. No, we close our hearts because it does hurt. But, but there's a danger to that. Now, notice in the way that I asked the question. I asked the question, how can I have a heart for those who hurt, especially those who hurt me? I'm not asking that sarcastically. And the fact that I said, how can I, there's an underlying assumption there. It means that we can it means that we can. And the reason why it is possible is because Jesus did it. And Jesus can help us by the power of the Spirit, help us to do the same. Because listen, tell me, if you've ever known anything about Jesus, I'll tell you this right now, Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was misrepresented and he was mistreated while he was here. All right? That's why they, they crucified him on the cross. Why? Because they misunderstood him and others misrepresented him. And that eventually led to his mistreatment. But on the cross, what was one of his, talking about the breath of life, right? What was one of the, in one of his final breaths, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Look at that. Here they are mocking him, ridiculing him, hurting him, torturing him. And what does he have to say? What does his heart look like on the cross? Father, forgive them. I, they do not know what they're doing. He's not holding it against those who were doing those things because he understood the condition of their heart. He knew that they were slaves. He knew that they were slaves to sin. He knew those things. And so he, his heart remained open even on the cross. Why? Because, well, he, he, first off, you know, he's God and he understood those things. And because of that, the Holy Spirit can actually Help us to do and grow to do that. Not perfectly, because we're not him, but it is possible for us, for our hearts to be healed. And so that we don't always close ourselves off. 
In fact, guys, listen, the grave, the empty grave of Jesus, it, it shows us and it reminds us still today that there is hope and healing on the other side of death and pain. That's what the grave does. The empty grave shows us that there is hope and healing. It is possible on the other side of pain, on the other side of death. And the gift of the Holy Spirit that God gives us to all believers in Christ Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit is also tells us something, that there is wisdom. There is wisdom on how we should react to when we are hurt. And there is strength to endure when we do. See, that's the other thing. Sometimes we just take things too personally when we shouldn't, you know? And, and if we have that wisdom, we know, okay, that is not, okay, I'm just going to leave that one right there. I'm not picking up that live grenade, all right? And so sometimes there's wisdom on when to do, when not to, but sometimes it just blows up, right? And then now what do you do? Well, the Holy Spirit can give us strength in order to do that. So what's, what's pretty cool is that as we're studying our, continuing our, our story of Acts, this is exactly what happens to Paul, all right? And it's crazy how fast things unravel. So we're going to look at, um, we're going to see how all this plays out in Paul's life as he actually is able to maintain. Now, it's one thing if it's Jesus, but now let's look at Paul. Paul's like one of us. You know, it's a little different, but Paul's just a person. And he was able to maintain a heart for unbelievers despite the hurt that they inflicted on him. So we're going to do a lot of cruising through this. Now, um, this is going to be one of those sermons that it's going to be a flyover, all right, because there's a lot of text, but we're not really going to hang out in it. So I'm just going to give you a flyover of the whole story. And it's kind of hard to break it up because it's one narrative. And again, every time the Bible slows down and gives you details, meaning, well, God, uh, inspires the author to slow down. There's some things there. So uh, let's look at Acts chapter 21. We're going to uh, kind of stop and go a lot today, all right? So this is going to be like a little biblical tour. We're going to go. We're going to stop. I'm going to explain a little something. Then we're going to keep moving, all right? So if you, uh, I encourage you guys to read this at home because we're going to cover about almost two chapters today. So Acts 21, let's just start reading a couple verses. We're going to read Acts 15 through 19. This is at the end of where we picked off last week. All right, we, uh, Paul is saying his goodbyes. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And now, this is, he landed there. So let's see what happens. Acts 15 says, after this, meaning all the, the goodbyes and all the stuff, that the conflict that, that we were talking about last week. After this, we, so Luke, the author of the book of Acts, along with Paul and others, we went up to Jerusalem. They made it. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us, and they brought to us um, Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to stay. When we reached Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters, another way of saying Christians, the brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James and the elders. Now, James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and the elders are those co-pastors as well. So he goes to the leadership of the church in Jerusalem, and after greeting them, Paul reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So Gentiles are non-Jews, and so it had been about three or so years, and man, he has a lot to say. So Paul is just unloading on all the good news, just in the same way that if something happened to you, and it's been a long time, right? Since you've met somebody, there's a lot of catching up to do, right? You have never had one of those. So that's kind of what we're seeing here. And so, man, Paul has so much to say. And we've been covering that really um, over the last couple of weeks in his third missionary journey. And so that's what he's just giving. He's giving revival results. So let's see how the church, now you could imagine if this was you, how do you think the church would have responded? You know, like say, man, we sent Paul three and a half years ago. We're, we're hearing back and oh my gosh, we're getting it from the source. Wow. Like, you would think, man, praise God. God is good. I, I can't believe. Could you believe we're living in this? We're seeing him. We're, he's fulfilling the prophecies in front of our faces. Guys, we have the honor and privilege of living during this time. Isn't this amazing, right? That's what I figured they would say. It's interesting what they do. So let's look now. Let's read the, the reaction to revival results. Let's read verse 20 and 21. And the next one, he says, when they heard this, they glorified God. All right, they did it. But look what Luke actually documents and said. You see, Paul, <laughs> it's like, like if already if somebody starts off by saying, listen, what happened was already, you know, it's like, uh oh, right. If somebody starts a story like that, what happened? Oh, man. So they go, oh, that's awesome, Paul. But you know what? You see, you see, Paul, brother, oh, now they're throwing that word on him. Come on, brother. 
how many thousands, plural, thousands of Jews there are who have believed, they become believers in Jesus, and they are, can we say that word for me? Can we say zealous? Zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you, that you are teaching all of the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses, telling them not to even circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. So not only do they praise God in that moment, but what is their reaction? Listen, that's all great, but we got to talk. That's great, great and all, but we got to talk. Apparently, there's a rumor about you, Paul, and things that you're doing. And we got to talk about it because there's how many people? Thousands. Guys, I want you to understand the stress that Pastor James and the elders are in. They are pastoring a mega church of thousands of people in the first century under a lot of cultural, historical hostility. Thousands of people. And it's a mix. But the, the church in Jerusalem is mainly Jews. Mainly Jews. The, the non-Jewish world is outside. And so what are the, there's two words that he says. The first one is, like, what's their attitude, guys? They were, what's that Z word you said? Try to type it online. I'm sure Facebook will autocorrect it, right? If you don't know how to spell zealous, I, every time I spelled it, I got it wrong. Zealous. Guys, that word zealous is important. Zealous is a word that is constantly used in the Old Testament to describe certain people. In fact, the Jews would look at that as a model, being zealous for the Lord, zealous for the temple, zealous for their nationality, zealous for the law. Why? Because they, they understood, they realized God has chosen a former slave nation to be a blessing to the nations. And they knew in the Old Testament that there was something that God needed to do through the Jewish people that would be a blessing to the world. And so they were supposed to be very cautious about the, what God had given them, the law and, the, and all those other things. And so they had become very, what was that word? Zealous. But here's the thing. Here, what we're seeing here is a bunch of Christians. We're seeing a bunch of Jewish Christians who have still a lot of discipling that needs to be done. They haven't unhinged their previous life and previous thinking of all things. And so notice, what are they not zealous for? They are more zealous for Moses than they are for Christ. You see that? They are zealous for their culture more than the kingdom. There's a lot of discipleship that needs to happen here still. And so you could see something is not right there. They were zealous about all these things. So this, by the way, tells us that, hey, guys, every Christian, every believer, we all need ongoing discipleship. We all need ongoing challenge and growing because there's a lot of unlearning that needs to be done when we're learning as well. But the other word was abandoned. Did you hear that word? The rumor is saying that you are telling people to abandon. That word abandon is to rebel. So that, that, you know, they're saying, yeah, you're not only telling the Gentiles, which again, process this, guys. The Jews were shocked that non-Jews were getting saved because at this point, they really believed that the only ones who were going to get saved were Jews because that's what they thought God meant. Even though testimony, you know, prophet after prophet, example after example would say, no, I want the whole world to be saved. Got it. Just us. Okay. All right. That was the Jews. I want everybody. Okay, every Jew. Yep. All right. Good. All right. No, I, I totally understand. Got it. Thank you. No, you don't. Oh, yep. All right. Beautiful. All right. So it was this. Uh, and so the thing is that they, they were shocked that non-Jews are getting saved. But again, look at right there. Look at their heart. Okay. It's cool. That, oh, that's cute and all that non-Jews are getting saved, but we got a big problem. We got a big problem because uh, there's an uproar here. There, there's a problem within our church that's growing in Thousands of people are involved. Man, rumors spread inside of churches? No. No. And so that's what's going on, man. And, and what's crazy is that they're saying, because Paul, and over and over again, we have documentation to show us. What Paul is pretty much incurring, uh, encouraging Jews to do is helping them to understand their culture. Because there were things that God meant that were meant to communicate a principle, but they would settle just for practice. And so Paul wasn't saying, you don't abandon things anymore. He's like saying, no, let me get you to understand what all of that meant. 
And if you choose to participate in it, great. But if not, you're not obligated anymore. That's what he wrote to the Ephesian church, that Jesus Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing all of these laws and ordinances because they were all meant to teach something. It was a means to an end, and it came to an end on the cross. But these guys hadn't figured it out yet. They were still dealing with it. And so here's the thing that that before we move on, guys. These guys, are, are they believers in Jesus Christ? Are they Christians? Did Luke not say that? Are they yes or no? Yes, they are. Are they believers and Christians? Yes. Are they immature ones? Yes. But are they zealous? Are they passionate for Jesus? Are they passionate for, yeah, zealous. But they're zealous for too much. Are they zealous for God? Yes. So here's the thing. Being zealous without maturity is dangerous. Being zealous without maturity is dangerous. You can be all excited for God, all excited for... Now, we're talking about Jews, but guys, I don't think none of us are Jews here online, maybe. But guys, you got to be cautious here because sometimes you can have a lot of fire. You can live on fire for the Lord, and that fire can be burning in a way that it shouldn't be burning. See what I'm saying? So we don't judge people's maturity based on their passion. They They can be passionately wrong. You see what I'm saying? So be careful. So that's the reaction. Now, I love James. Oh, let's, you got to look at this. Let's, let's look at now, what are we going to do with this? Okay, let's read verses 22 and 25. So he says, they, they're, they're saying that you're, ab- that you're telling all the Jews to abandon. That's a heavy charge. And so in verse 22, he asks the question, so what is to be done? Paul, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? For they will certainly know that you're here, Paul. You're, you're, you're famous. Everyone's going to know. No one's not going to know that Paul is in Jerusalem. So what are we going to do? Therefore, let me tell you what we're going to do. I love that. <laughs> we'll come back to that in a second. So they will, they will certainly hear that you've come. So therefore, do what we tell you. This is James saying. We have, I'm going to read all the way to 25. Yep. Um, take these men, purify yourself along with them. And pay for them to get their heads shaved. Then everyone will know. Look, at it. Look what the assumption is. Everyone will know that what they were told about you amounts to nothing. But that you yourself, you are also a careful, that you are careful about observing the law. With regard to the Gentiles who have believed, listen, we've already written a letter containing the decision that they should keep themselves from food sacrificed to idols and blood and what is strangled and for sexual immorality. That's the third time that that letter has been referenced, by the way, um, in our study. So he's being flippant about it. And so if you want to know what that is, you're going to have to look back later. I don't got time. But he's saying, listen, the Gentiles, uh, they got to figure it out. They know what to do. As long as they're not doing these couple things, we're fine with them. We don't got an issue with these Gentiles. But what are we going to do, Paul? Because these Jews, man... These Jews, these zealous Jews, what are we going to do? Uh, to me, that was an interesting comment. How Paul, how, uh, what does uh, James do? James, what are we going to do? Listen, I'm, we're going to tell you what to do. <laughs> okay? Like, what a sarcastic question. Like, he likes saying, Paul, we got a problem. How are we going to fix this? Any ideas, Paul? None. James goes right in, I don't know. What are we going to do? Ah, I know. Paul, we've decided for you already what you are going to do. Now, it, it sounded a little funny. I'm like, wait, I mean, they're all going to get haircuts like that's what he's doing. He's like, you know, paying them to go get their heads shaved. And that's a Jewish custom. It was something that yeah, it was a purification ritual that God had instituted. It was a way of a, a symbol of showing your dedication to the Lord. That's what he's saying, man, if Paul, you're going to do anything. You know what to do. Take this uh, Nazarite vow and people will know, oh, wow, oh, Paul is actually doing Jewish things. So Paul's OK. A couple of weeks ago, guys, we talked about how Paul had already previously shaved his head already. So dude already has somewhat of a buzz, all right? Got a buzz, a buzz cut here. And so he did it not because he was Jewish and he had to. He did it because he understood why God instituted that law to begin with. And he did it just because he wanted to. There was freedom to do and not to. Does it sound like freedom here? Yes and no, right? It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like this is what you're going to do. It doesn't sound like freedom. You know, it doesn't sound like freedom, but... Does, does James, Pastor James, does he, does he sound like he means well? I think he does. I think it looks like he means well here. But the thing, guys, with this appeasement is that notice that James and the elders, what is their solution to a growing rumor inside of the church? Not to disciple those Christians, 
and to say, no, listen, guys, this is what the law meant. Is James and the leaders and the elders, are they discipling the Christians? Are they discipling these immature Christians? No, they're trying to appease them. They're trying to uh, indirectly avoid conflict. You see what I'm saying? For, I know we got some, some non-confrontational -conf, you know, people. You're going to see, guys, I'm sorry, you got to learn. I'm, I'm learning. And so you got to learn. It doesn't end well when you do that. And what, what is the solution? Here we got four individuals, Paul. And by the way, you know who those four people are? People part of the rumors. These are people who are spreading these lies as well, some of them. And so what they're saying is, do this ritual with them. Spend time with them so that they can get to know you. And they can see, oh, okay, so the rumors are, are wrong. You know, the New Testament says, guys, that we should live in such a way that when people talk bad about us, when those who really know us will know, oh, okay, well, that's, no, that's not right at all. And so that's important. And so they thought, this is smart, right? Go hang out with some of these guys. Let's get these four people, these influencers, to hopefully these four people will influence the thousands instead of really they're thinking these four are going to do the job that James and the elders should do. You know? Interesting. And so, but... Who's supposed to pay for the haircut and the ceremony and everything? Who? They said Paul. Paul, this act of charity, it's going to show, look, hey, you're talking about me, but look, I'm going to be generous to you. That act of love is going to show them that you love them. Doesn't that sound great? It sounds great. And then you're going to get to know them. They're going to get to know you. Everything's going to be okay, Paul. But here's the, the irony of it, guys. Paul was, Paul was forced to pay for the rumors of someone else. Guys, isn't that true? Somebody spreads rumors about you and who has to do, who has to pay? You do, right? Don't you? When somebody talks bad about you, who's, who now has to pay for it? You have to pay for it because now you got to have to deal with some things and deal with all that. You got to pay for it in general. So I thought that was I ironic in that it still happens 2022. It still happens today. When people spread rumors about you, you are the one that has to pay for it, not them a lot of times. They get, they get away with it. And so that's what's going down. And, uh, and I wonder, as we're going to see this in a minute, James doesn't sound to be very wise right now. Nowhere do, do we see that Luke implies, you know, Paul, we got to talk about this. Us and the elders, we've been praying about this. And we really believe this is what you should do. This doesn't sound like something that they prayed about, that they prayed for. This, this reeks of human wisdom. Right? This weeks of human wisdom when it comes to how do we deal with rumors? I know. Let's just appease the rumor, the, the rumor spreaders. That's no. There's no godly wisdom in that at all. So I wonder, this is just me. I'm just asking out loud. Because James wrote a letter in the book, uh, in the New Testament later on. I wonder if this has anything, especially what's about to happen. I wonder if this had anything to do with the Holy Spirit working in his life. Because later Paul, uh, James says, if you seek wisdom, ask the Lord. I wonder if, if he learned that lesson because this, he didn't ask for wisdom here and it didn't play out well. So I, 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 this is my curiosity, I wonder. I think he learned his lesson later on, he did. Because James isn't looking too good right now. James is not looking, this is not a good moment for James. So anyways, moving on. So now let's, look, that was, the, that was the, the appeasement. And so here's the shocking thing, Paul says, okay. Paul says, you know what, whatever. I, I, I'll, to the Jew, I'll be a Jew. If in order to win people over. Like, this was an attitude that Paul had to say, listen, I, I'll do whatever it takes to get people to understand who Jesus is. So I'm good with that. So let's roll it. The accusation now. Look at Acts 21, 26, and 29. So the next day, Paul took the men behaving, I'm sorry, having purified himself along with them. And they entered the temple, announcing the completion of the purification days. Uh, when the offering would be made for each of them. We're going to go to 29. When the seven days were nearly over. So this was a whole week. He got to spend a whole week with these guys. Some, listen to this, some Jews. It's always a few that really do the problem, right? All you need is a couple of troublemakers. That's it. Some Jews from the province of Asia saw him, Paul, in the temple. Stirring up the whole crowd. They seized them, shouting, fellow Israelites, help. 
This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere. Que exagera. What exaggerators there, right? Everyone, everywhere, against our people, against our law, and this place. And what's more, ooh, they're going to up it. They're going to up it now. What's more, he also brought in Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen um, Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Oh man, this is good. I'm sorry. This is this is this is TV worthy right now. This is just ridiculous. And so, guys, what was the accusation? Who made the accusation? First off, some Jews from Asia. Guys, these are some Jews from Ephesus. Now, we had a couple weeks ago, Paul shows up in Ephesus in, in our couple weeks ago in our study. Paul shows up in Ephesus and revival breaks out in Ephesus. Over half of the synagogue there leaves the synagogue. They're losing leaders. They're losing everybody. And they're all getting saved. They're all be joining part of the church. And there was some salty Ephesian Jews that were just, and they tried to get Paul in trouble. They were spreading rumors about him there. And nothing happened to him. He got away with it. And so here you have some people who are still salty about the past. And they can't let it go. Guys, I'm just telling you, how many, you know that's true, right? There's just some people that, man, their interaction with you, it doesn't matter. You could have done everything right. And they'll, for whatever reason, they'll just hold something against you. And, they'll, and they've justified it in their heart. And so here you have some people saying, oh, this guy again. Ugh. And notice, what did they do? They, they repeated the rumor. They exaggerated the rumor. He's teaching everyone, everywhere. Oh my gosh. And, and what else? What was the accusation? He brought in Greeks, plural. Greeks. And the reason, how did they come to the conclusion and the assumption that he brought in Greeks? Well, there was one Greek. Oh, oh my gosh. They saw him with one guy and the assumption is, and he was just in the city. Oh, if, he, if Paul was with this one Greek in the city, that means he must have brought, you know, all the Greeks inside. And they're all, you know, over here eating hummus and pita chips up in, up in the temple. Oh, my gosh. Now, the reason why, guys, this doesn't matter to you, but it, it mattered to them. Because if um, there was a law that God instituted for a reason that non-Jews could not enter certain places. And if they did, it would defile. It would defile the temple. And there's, there's a reason for it. We can't talk about it. But um, that's why they were so upset. I mean, for somebody to claim that, that was a big deal for them. And so, so no wonder everyone was like, wait, who did what? Oh, my gosh. And so they started getting all crazy and whatnot. And so this was a big deal, but it makes no sense in so many reasons. First off, guys, Paul, Paul knows that custom. Paul knows that custom. And the thing is, guys, is um, he would not have put his friend in danger by doing that. You know, to try to make a political statement. Or, or, an, or a theological one, it wouldn't matter. But first off, let's just, before we go on to the next thing, because we're going to see some even more, quick lesson. Catch this. What was James? What did James and the elders think was going to work? Hey, Paul, spend a week with these guys. Pay for the purification. Do this, do that, and they will know that you're real. They will know that you're a believer, did, that, that everything is okay. Did Paul do what was asked of him? Yes. Did he do it with a good, willing heart? Yes. Did it work? No. Guys, you got to write this down because I'm moving on. And this was a good one for later. It is impossible to satisfy the hunger of someone who enjoys feasting on assumptions. It is impossible to satisfy the hunger of someone who enjoys feasting on assumptions. Because what did they do? They assumed without confirming, without anything else, and they ran with that assumption. Guys, gossipers will always make that leap. They will love to make a leap on, oh, this happened? Oh, look what really happened. Oh, they love to rewrite history, don't they? Man. So that's a good one because this is, again, one of those things where you got to know when to engage and when not to engage. This was a negative example of engaging, uh, engaging gossip indirectly. Oh, let me, let me prove to you that, that I'm not like that. Let me, let me prove it to you. Let me prove... Because even that, they've already made their decision about you. Most people, and it's, it's just a lost cause. So it's impossible to satisfy the hunger of someone who enjoys feasting on assumptions. They don't care. 
So check this out. Look at the next thing. Let's look at now the, they make the accusation. They make the false claim. What happens to Paul? Let's, it just gets worse. Let's look at verse 30 and 36. Okay. So the whole city was stirred up. Rightfully so. I told you guys, if this happened, this was a huge deal. And so the whole city was stirred up. The people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and the gates were what? Shut. The gates were shut. The, the gates of the temple were shut. Um, so church service, over. Okay? They locked the doors. They shut it. All right? Moving on. He says, as they were trying to kill him, <clears throat> they were going to kill him on a guess. They were going to kill him on a, mm -hmm, okay, I think. All right? They were about to kill him, and word went up to the commander of the regent um, that all Jerusalem was in chaos. Here's the thing, guys. Romans don't like chaos. They like peace. They always bring the hammer down. They don't like, they don't like unrest. Taking along soldiers and centurions, he immediately ran down to them. Seeing the commander and the soldier, they, the crowd, stopped beating Paul. We're going to go to 36. Then the commander approached him, took him into custody, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Um, the prophecy that Agabus has said, and that, you know, it's starting to happen. Um, he asked who he was and what he had done. Like, hey, bro, it makes sense of this. Someone in the crowds were shouting one thing and some another. Oh, that's always it, right? There it is. Confusion. No one has their story right, right? Everyone's shouting different things. Um, since he was not able to get reliable information, again, are you ever going to get reliable information from gossipers? There it is again. All right. And so he can't get reliable information. So what happens? Because of the uproar, he ordered him to be taken to the barracks. Paul got to the steps. He had been carried by the soldier because of the violence of the crowd for the mass of the people were yelling, get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him. They wanted to kill him. And so, guys, here's the, the, the crazy part there. The reason why, first off, they were going to kill him is because uh, bringing a non-Jew in was a death sentence. And here's the crazy part. The Romans actually allowed the Jews to execute people in this one condition. The Jews didn't have to go to Rome to execute somebody if they defiled the temple. If they had reason and they had evidence that someone defiled the temple, they can they could off that individual that day. It didn't matter. They didn't need Rome for that. Now, why did they need Rome to kill Jesus? Because Jesus didn't, you know, well, that's ironic because they one of the rumors was that they claimed he defiled the temple, right, by committing blasphemy against the temple. But if that was true, then why aren't you killing him now? Hmm, I see you. All right, fake. All right, that's, that's, that's not true. You wouldn't need us then. And so look at the, the, the crazy part there. And so, but you saw, guys, what was the thing that they wanted to do? They grabbed him, and they took it out. And what did they do to the doors of the temple? They shut it. They shut the doors to the temple. And, guys, I'm telling you, man, this, this has the enemy all over it. First off, this sounds like this is a demonic mob. That's what's going down here. There's a demonic mob there. And that's another thing, guys. You got to be cautious about who you're listening to because gossipers, they spread lies. All right. Who where do lies come from? All right. The father of lies. And so if you entertain a lie, uh, you got you got some little, you know, demonic company going in there. All right. In influencing and agitating. And, and these guys are all thinking they're doing the right thing by God. They all think they're doing the right thing. And so what does the enemy do? He not only does he get them out, but they shut the door. Guys, the enemy would love, 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 love. All right? He loves doing this. They love to try to get the truth tellers out of the church. And the enemy don't want truth tellers inside. They want to shut the doors from the truth tellers, from those who, who reflect Christ and look to Christ. They always do that, but then that always, see, the fact that they shut the temple also is a symbol, man, they, they, they shut themselves off. They didn't want to hear anything. They didn't want to hear Paul. They didn't want to say, Paul, explain yourself. No, they just made assumptions, and they shut their hearts. They shut their minds. They shut the door from the very place that was supposed to be welcomed. The very place that was supposed to be for all people, they shut the doors. And guys, see, here's the, this is the hard part that, again, it's another lesson that we got to run with is that Paul, Paul loved these people. Paul loved everybody. You know, he, he, all he wanted people to, was to understand the love of God. But the hard part is, guys, is this. It's always not going to be received well. And people are just going to be a kind of way. And so... We got to learn to speak the truth in love even when people don't love the truth we speak. You hear that? 
We are called to always speak the truth in love, even when people don't love the truth that we speak. Now, tone matters. Yeah. How we say it, it depends on the moment. But we speak truth. Why? Because we ought to, because we, we love them. We want them to know it. But the, the hard part that we're starting to realize, guys, is that sometimes people don't love the truth that you speak, even if you speak it in love, even if you speak it with a good tone, even if you speak it with the right heart. It's just not enough for some. And so uh, there, now, now let's look at Paul. What, what is Paul's reaction here? Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Paul begins to um, defend himself. He, begun, he, he actually asks a moment, like, hey, let me, can I talk to them for a second? Why? He's done this before. We've, every time the crowds are agitated, every time the, the tide turns against him, Paul is ready to say, all right, I'm ready to make my defense. Let me, and he would present the gospel and he would do all of these things. Paul's been here before. He knows the routine. And so that's what he does. And he launches into his testimony and he gives a retelling of when he met Jesus. First off, these are all Jews. And it had been maybe around this time, 15 to 20 years since the resurrection of Jesus and around Paul's conversion. But a lot of these people are still alive and they remember who Paul was. Well, they remember when he was out there persecuting the Christians. He was the one out there beating them and he was the one out there arresting them. He was the one that stood and and saw Stephen murdered and was okay with it. They knew who he was. And so he's trying to say, guys, let me just tell you my story. Let me tell you my testimony. I met Jesus. And first off, he would say, listen, guys, I'm a Jew's Jew. Remember, what's the accusation? That he abandoned all Jewish things. He's talking to them in Hebrew, which caught them off guard. Oh, wait, he's speaking Hebrew. That's our language. Let's listen. And then he would say, listen, I was zealous. There's that word again. He uses it. Guys, I know you're zealous, but me too. In fact, I was more zealous than all of you. I was doing this and I was taking care of the church all by my lonesome. I was a zealous person. But then I met the love of God. I met Christ on the road. And then I met this guy, Ananias, who was a devout Jew among the people. So he's making case after case, refuting the rumors, right? He's making case after case about the rumors. And then he says, and then I came back to Jerusalem to worship. What does that sound like? He's doing Jewish practices. So he's now trying to show them and trying to appease the rumors now. And now here's the thing, guys. While he's giving his testimony, in this moment, he actually gives a detail that Luke has not mentioned this in the whole time. That I want to read. So let's look at verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse um, 18 and 21 really quick. This is a detail that we have not seen in his, um, or heard, chapter 22, sorry, uh, that we haven't heard in his testimonies before. Verse 18, um, he says, I went to Jerusalem to pray in the temple. I fell into a trance. I saw a vision. And then I saw Jesus telling me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, here's his response. Lord, they know that in synagogues after synagogue, I had those who believed in you in prison and beaten. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I stood there giving approval. And the guardians, I was there guarding the clothes of those who killed him. And Jesus said to him, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Guys, that's a detail that we haven't seen before in Paul's testimony. So look, again, he's trying to make the case. Guys, even when I was a Christian, I still came to the temple to pray. I was still doing my Jewishness things. You could still, you know, practice these Jewish things and love Jesus and get the big picture. It's okay. So he treats his heart is trying to disciple. He's doing James's job, right? He's doing James and the elder's job. And he's trying to do it. And, and he's... he's um, well, first off, that, that interesting vision that he has sounds very similar to Peter's. Peter had a vision of this sheet coming down of animals, right? And Jesus says, hey, eat all these clean animals. But Jesus, I've never eaten. I've always followed the law. And Jesus says, don't call unclean what I call clean. Now, it had nothing to do with dieting. It had nothing to do with his, you know, any of that. It was to prep Peter to say, Peter, there's the unclean non-Jews I want them in my family too. I want them in my family too. And so now Paul has a similar vision. I want you to go to the Gentiles. And but he thinks, no, God, no, 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 no. This is Paul saying to God, no, this Jerusalem is where I belong. This is where my ministry, because they know me. And if they know me, and if they could see the transformation in my life, they would be convinced of your power. They would be convinced 
right? Have you ever seen somebody that like overnight they changed and you'd be like, huh, something happened. What happened to you? You have those moments. And some of us, we know when we had an encounter with Jesus, we've never, you know, we were two different people. We were one way without him. And then now with him, we're a different person. And so Paul, logically, he's saying, in essence, Jesus, are you sure you want me to leave? This is the best place that I should minister. They'll know they've seen me. They will, this will prove to them that, that you are real because I had a real encounter with you. And pretty much Jesus said, no, it's not always going to work out like that. I need you to go. I need you to go. That is, is, is shocking in and of itself. But there's, this sounds very similar to Isaiah when God says to Isaiah, uh, whom should I send to the nations? And Isaiah says, send, or whom should I send to my people? And Isaiah says what? Here I am, send me. And do you guys know the rest of the story? God says to us, because we love saying that, right? Here am I, God, send me. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. And the rest of the story, God says, all right, Isaiah, I'm going to send you. But just a heads up, every word that I'm going to give you, no one's going to listen. They're not going to listen to you. Could you imagine Isaiah saying, I changed my mind. Okay. <laughs> um, then why? Why send me if they're not going to listen? Okay. He's telling Peter, he's telling Paul the same thing. They're not going to listen to you, Paul. So you need to go to people who will. Guys, listen. This is good news for some of you. You are not called to save everybody. You are not someone's savior, Jesus is. I'm telling you, listen, you, there's going to be people who will not listen to you. And it's not your fault. It's okay. It's okay. It's not your fault. Some people will not listen to you. God, there's, there's people that will listen to you that won't listen to me. And we all got to understand that rule. But in essence, and Jesus actually warned uh, his apostles with the sower, the, the, the parable of the sower and the seeds, that there's four lands. It's, it's ro- you know, stony, rocky, uh, shallow, and good soil. You know, that was a parable teaching the disciples not only how to listen, but how often will somebody listen to you? Because you're going to spread the seed and it's only going to really take root in one out of four places. In essence, Jesus was telling the disciples, listen, you guys are going to spread the gospel. You got these guys to tell people. But listen, get comfortable with the batting average of, uh, you know, 250. You know, be comfortable with only seeing results in one out of four individuals that you deal with. Because it's not about you. It's about them. And this reminds us, guys, and I like to say this every time I get an opportunity. Because a lot, of, a lot of us Christians, we keep too silent because we are afraid to speak or we're afraid of, we feel like it, all the pressure is on us to convince people. Success is when you sow the seed, not when somebody responds. Success is when you do what you're called to do. It, success does not depend on the other person's response to what you did. Success is, are you loving people? Are you speaking the truth? That's what matters. And so, here, oh, but hold on. That last phrase is where it all went wrong. First off, everyone's listening. Everyone's tracking. But when, G, when he says, Jesus says, go, I will send you far away among the Gentiles. That triggered the crowd again. Look at the next phrase, verse 22. They listened to him up until this point. Up until the point he said what word, guys? Gentiles. They listened to him up until this point. And then what do they do? They raise their voices, shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth he should not be allowed to live so when they said gentiles what did they do they did the same thing they did before jesus told me to go to the gentiles oh now he's saying jesus told him to go and abandon see now they're back to the rumors now they're back to the assumptions and they made a leap all over again you're now you're saying jesus is the one who's at at, at fault here oh kill him now Kill them now. They were fine. By the way, they had mentioned Jesus' name quite often, right? If you look at the testimony, it says, and then Jesus met me, and Jesus, and Jesus, and Jesus. I went to the temple. I met Jesus. No problems. Okay, Jesus talked to you. Okay. I mean, it was, it was typical of, of a prophet to hear the voice of God in the temple. So, okay, I, I can see that. That works. That works. Wait, Jesus told you to go to the, get him, you know, off with his head. All right. That's literally what they were crying out. And guys, that's another one. There's, there, we live in a culture that is fine with you talking about Jesus as long as it's a Jesus that they like. No, you ain't, half y'all didn't get okay. You got that? You live, we live in a world. That is okay with you. Talk about Jesus all you want. As long as it's a Jesus that the culture likes. Because now when you start getting, the more real you get 
with what the intentions of what Jesus meant and is trying to do and wants to do, you get the you get the you know the rage mob after you all over again. They're fine with Jesus up, up unless unless it's the true expression here. And man, it's so sad because these guys were they, they wanted their church to be Jewish. They wanted a Jewish church. And guys, it still happens today. Uh, it, it is sad to see how much of uh, how much infighting is going on so much in churches in which we there look, even this last week, uh, you know, I, I was at school over in California a couple weeks ago and, and we're learning different traditions and and so many things that are coming at me and I, and I keep on hearing these things, you know, like I've I've heard this before. It's like, you know, we've uh, church is too white, you know, we, we need, um, we need, there's a white way of reading the Bible, and there's a black way of reading the Bible, and there's a Hispanic way of reading the Bible, and there's an Asian way of reading the Bible, and so we need to give more voices to other places, and the same thing for occult, church expressions, oh, church is too white, okay, what we need is, we need, we need, uh, uh, you know, black church, and we need Hispanic church, and we need Asian church, and so, this is the irony. I can say this. I can get away with this. Look at, the, look at the culture. I can get away with it because I'm brown. I can't get away with this if I'm white. And so we're cool with every ethnicity having their own ethnic churches. But if a white church is white, they're the worst. That ought to get me canceled tomorrow. Okay? All right? You, you feel me on that? I was like, we're okay with everybody else doing it, but not the whites. They're not allowed. And so am I, am I saying, I'm not saying that we, that there shouldn't be, you know, church should be a place where we should have multiple voices. The kingdom of God from day one was a, became a multi-ethnic church overnight because the Jews from other cultures had be already become, and, and so we're seeing this. And so there's nothing wrong with these things, but it's, it's how it looks like in the end. Still, a lot of us, we want church to conform to our image. You hear me on that? Christ wants to, the Holy Spirit is supposed to conform us to whose image? Jesus. But we want to conform Jesus. We want, we want Jesus to be a white Jesus. We want Jesus to be a black Jesus. We want Jesus to be Hispanic. We want Jesus to be me. We want, I want Jesus to look like me. Aren't you supposed to look like him, though? See, that's the thing. So we got to, even us, guys, look, we're, we're a primarily Hispanic church that is, that is, you know, have been for a while trying to create a, just a non-Hispanic sense. But we don't want to lose the Hispanicness of it. It's okay. Look at even me, Hispanics. A Hispanic individual is an, in nature, we're a combo of like multiple ethnicities. You know, we're a mix of African, European, and Native American. And yet we're uniquely Hispanic. You see that? If I know we got Hispanics in the house. Have you processed that? You are a combo of a, you're a smoothie. That's what you are. You're okay? You're an ethnic smoothie. You are an, <laughs> you are an ethnic smoothie. You have mix of Native Americans, African, uh, European, even Asian. Like, I mean, look at the combo of stuff. And we have a unique nationality that is, that is not African in nature, but it has African stuff. It's not European in nature, but it's have European stuff in it. It's not Native American, but it has it, but it's uniquely Hispanic. The church ought to have, a, it, it should have expressions of multiple ethnicities, but the church should ought to be a new thing. It should be conformed to Christ, not the culture. Always conform to Christ. And as a Christian, we ought to be the same thing. And so at the very last part, guys, the for what? He tried to give a defense. Again, they it didn't care. They got him arrested. They sent him off. And the irony is, I'm not going to read it, but we're going to skip the last thing in, in, in Acts. Uh, the irony is, is that, all right, they take him in jail. They got to protect him because it, it just looks kind of crazy. They're about to beat him. All right, because of the, they're like, all right, this guy's a problem. This guy's a, so we're going to beat him. Right, the scripture says right there as they're going to beat him, Paul and looks around and says, hey, by the way, don't you know I'm a Roman citizen? He was like, wait, what? And so they stopped immediately, ran, got a commander, bring him back because Paul was a Roman citizen. Paul learned his lesson. By the way, the Jews, those Asian Jews that we were talking about, all right, not to be racist, that sounds racist, but you know what I'm saying, right? The, the, Ephesian, the Ephesian Jews, the Ephesian Jews from Ephesus, they learned their lesson. Because they made an accusation with Paul and it didn't stick. And so now they meet Paul again and the enemy learned, ooh, now they learned their lesson. But so did Paul. Paul in Philippi, when he was in the city, he got beat almost to the point of death only to find out later, oh man, you know, I'm a Roman citizen. Wait, are you? And then he freaked out because you're not supposed to commit a crime against a Roman citizen unjustly because then it could happen to you. And so Paul learned his lesson right before he got that beating. Oh, by the way, I'm I'm a Roman. What? And the fact that he was a Roman citizen already outranked the soldier, the Roman soldier who was going to beat him because not everybody had a Roman citizenship. He outranked him. 
And then the commander goes and says, wait, how did that happen? How do you? I paid a lot of money to get mine. Paul says, oh, I was born with it. The assumption is, is that his father probably offered some form of valuable service to a Roman general or an administrator that gave him, that gifted the family a new citizenship. And it passed along to his descendants. There's only two ways you can get a Roman citizenship, by doing something valuable or valiant or paying for it. Um, and and what was the irony is, guys, is that uh, Jesus was um, murdered by the Romans. And here the Romans are rescuing Paul. It was a, an interesting irony there. And the other irony is that the crowd became the new Saul, persecuting Paul in the name of Jesus, in the name of God. But the other one was, uh, what a beautiful example here. What saved Paul's life that day? His citizenship. Guys, when judgment comes on the world, the only thing that will stop the, the wrath of God on falling on us and saying, I'm a citizen of heaven. And how can we become citizens of heaven? By being born again. It is, a, it is a citizenship. Salvation is a citizenship, guys, that you can't pay the cost. It's too expensive. That's why Jesus had to pay the, pay the price on the cross for each and every one of us so that he can give it to us. We cannot do enough of a valuable service to God to earn our citizenship. So what did Jesus do? He did a valuable service to us by dying on the cross in, instead for us so that we can be born again. That's what Jesus did for us. And that truth, I believe, is what helped Paul to process this whole thing. It helped him. And, and uh, we're running out of time, so I'm going to skip it. I'm trying to learn my lesson. In Romans, Roman, I'm going to encourage you guys to read Romans chapter 10. Because in Romans 10, a few years before this, Paul talks about, he says, listen, the Jewish people are zealous. No, look at the word. They're zealous, but they have a lack of understanding. They think that in order to be happy with that for God to be happy with you you got to be passionate you got to be on fire you got to be doing this you got to be doing that and they don't realize that no salvation all you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess what that's it salvation is not nothing we can earn or achieve and he is so overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus had saved him I mean, again, here he is did Paul know what he was doing when he was persecuting Jesus he did not he did not know what he was doing. He didn't know he was persecuting Jesus. He thought he was doing God a favor. He did not know what he was doing. He knows exactly where this crowd is. That's why he, his heart doesn't close off to them because, man, I used to be you. I used to do that. That was me. You guys are me. And instead of being angry and bitter, his heart broke for his people. And his heart broke for his people because of that. And so he was, he was passionate, yes, but he, he realized long ago that, again, our, our salvation is not determined by our zeal. It's by Jesus's. You guys know that John, in, in John chapter 2, Jesus kicks everybody out of the temple. And he says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And they had turned it into something else. Guys, God's heart and will is always open. They shut the door. Right. But Jesus, his arms were wide open and they still are. And so the reason why I bring this up, guys, is this the entire time. Just process what Paul was going through the entire time. Paul is dealing with elders, liars and soldiers. Right. The soldiers were going to beat him without asking questions. Right. The, the, the liars, they didn't care what he had to say. And the elders, guys, when he went to defend himself, where was James? Nowhere. Nowhere to be found. He was all alone. You guys ever heard of a term called church hurt? Church hurt is when people within the church hurt you. People that are supposed to be brothers and sisters, they turn and hurt you. Tell me that's not what Paul just experienced right now. Where is James? Where are those elders? Where are those four that he spent a whole week with? They didn't vouch for him. None. Where were they? He got hurt by the very people who were supposed to help him. But what happened? See, Paul knew, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I was there. You were gracious to me. Lord, be gracious to them. And so, guys, the thing that I, I want to bring, and I want to end it with this part is this, like, it's super hard for when people hurt you, for you to close your heart again. 
because I, I put my trust and they hurt me. And now it's like, now I trust people less. And now you're, you're more cautious. You're more, but who are we called to? That's the irony of it, guys, is as Christians, we're called to live and we're called to help the people who are willing to hurt us. We are called to help the people who bring hurt on us. But how do you do that? Not alone. You do it with Jesus. And the only way you can do it with Jesus is because, Lord, guys, he is the only one that can change human hearts. And this is what a part I need you to understand. And um, God is the only one who can turn a heart inside out. And that's what you guys need to understand. God is the only one who can turn a heart inside out. When you get hurt, you go from out in, closed off, afraid, hurt, damaged. And that's all true. But our lead singer today, Julia, said there's a, one of the things that Jesus specializes in is binding up broken hearts. He can turn that heart inside out again. Because as believers, guys, we're supposed to always be outward focused, not inward. James and the church, we're only caring about the inward. Okay, it's cool that non-Jews are getting saved, but they put the focus, and that's where a church always loses its way when it focuses on handling everybody on the inside and we stop fishing for people on the outside. That's when a church begins to die. And so we always need to have our heart towards people who hate us and who are willing to hurt us. But praise God that we have Jesus Christ because what other hope do we have? We have none. Guys, it's only, God is the only one who can change someone's hearts and minds. Only one. So make sure that he's changing your heart and mind at least. You feel me on that? That's the only one that you can do. You can't change anybody else's heart. You can't change anybody else. But what matters is, is God changing yours? Is he bringing healing to you? That is the only thing we can do, guys. We need to constantly ask the Holy Spirit, turn my heart inside out. God, that you may repurpose my hurt to bring hope to others. That's what happened to Paul. Paul took all of this hurt. God took it and repurposed the hurt to bring hope to others. And the same can happen to us. Guys, bad news. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, same thing that happened to Jesus is going to happen to you. Bad news. Okay? They rejected him. They mistreated him. They misunderstood him. It's going to happen to you. But good news. The same thing that happened to Jesus is going to happen to you. You will not be abandoned. You will not be left alone. You will not be abandoned to your wounds, bleeding to death in a cave. There is resurrection hope for each and every one of us. And not only is that resurrection going to happen one day truly and fully, but resurrection comeback can happen today. Slowly, little by little. And so I want to end with that point there because, again, only God can change the heart. And I know each and every one of us, I know we all got a different hurt. Maybe you're hurt because of some, something that you did and you're disappointed in yourself. Maybe you're hurt because somebody else did something that has hurt you. Even inside of the church that has helped you, that has hurt you. Or you struggle because you kind of blame God. You think God let you be hurt. That's another one too. But guys, there's always hope. And that hurt left alone will be untreated. Can, cannot go untreated. It's not going to go better. Put your hands in the healing, put your heart in the healing hands of God. And he can turn your heart inside back out again where it should. Man, listen, that was a crazy, that was a crazy account and crazy story. All right, to see everything that Paul went through. But then what's amazing is still seeing Paul's heart towards the very people that are hurting him. I mean, while the guy fresh off the beating turns around and still is trying to communicate and help these people to understand, listen, I used to be you, but you can know Jesus in the same way, man. He was really, really trying. And that to me is the biggest miracle is seeing the heart transformation that God can do in somebody's life, that they can go through that and still remain faithful and not blame God and not turn bitter to others. Listen, God is amazing. And I want to encourage you and say the same thing that happened to Paul. Listen, it can happen to us. This is what the part of one of the ramifications of being saved means, that we have the Holy Spirit in us to be able to do and live and be faithful witnesses. This is, this is part of the miracle that is, can happen and is really going on and, and part of what God wants to do in you to develop and grow your faith. 
to turn you inside out. To go from selfish to selfless, dead to living for the Lord and loving your neighbor. That's how we love him. So I want to encourage you, whatever hurt that you may have in your heart, hand it over to the Lord. And he can repurpose that hurt in order to be able to bring and give hope to others.